You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. We had such a big choir. We'll give them a second to get off the stage as well. So glad that all of you are here. There are still a few seats here at the front. I know a lot of you are standing in the back and you found places to sit in the back. And we have gotten really close to running out of room. But so glad that all of you are here today on this new day of 2022. Highlanders, would you help me to express our love and our welcome today to our friends from Church Under the Bridge? Would you just welcome them today? We love our church under the British friends and so glad that you're here. Pastor Jimmy Dorrell has been a good friend uh, for a long time, not only to, to me and my family, but to the city and to Highland. Many of you know that he served on staff uh, at Highland back in the 70s, uh, back in the 80, 1870s, I believe. And so that's an incredible thing that um, he has served here before on staff. Many of you know that Jimmy has a very unique, needed voice for our city today and really a needed voice for our nation today as well. He has a prophetic voice, and prophetic voices sometimes bruise us, but needfully so. Prophetic voices sometimes can be a little bit like sandpaper, uh, but the church needs sandpaper so that it can be the beautiful thing that God has created it to be. Sometimes prophets can be like sandpaper so that that, that entity or the organization can shine and be everything that she has been created to be. Yesterday was a very special day for, for Jimmy. It was his birthday. I won't say how old uh, he turned yesterday, but it, but it rhymes with levendy do. So you can kind of maybe put that to, together, uh, his birthday yesterday. I know we've already sung some beautiful songs, and I'm not going to be able to join in on the be- beautiful voices, but would you join me with a happy birthday to Highland and Church on the Bridge, as you welcome up Jimmy Durrell. Where's Dale? No, Dale. I'm not really up yet. I'm waiting for our, our testimony guy. Hi there. I'm so glad to be here. Let me tell you how old I am. Elizabeth Norwood, where are you? There she is. Winona, are you still around? There's Winona right there. They were in my youth group. And they are now 67 years old. You don't have long when the youth group turns 67. Shirley, where are you? She's a, she was a kid. She's 65. So we've got some younger ones here too. So we're waiting on... Uh, Dale to get here. Good morning. I thank y'all for coming. This is always one of our joy. Do you, what an incredible pastor, a prophetic man. To be, wait, no, wait, you got to understand why. To be able to look at, they invited us here four months ago. How did he know it was going to be this cold on this day? And we are so thankful that he had that foresight. What a... There you go. 
Dale, come on this way. I want to introduce to you uh, one of our members, one of our friends. I won't be honest. Um, the way I did church as a kid and the way church happens now is real different. And I am so blessed. I am humbled. I am broken by the stories of our people that we get to be among. And I want uh, Dale to share a little of his story uh, and how that has really blessed us. Do that, Dale. Yeah, thank you, Jimmy. Is that good there? Yeah. Uh, growing up here in Waco, it it, uh, it never dawned on me in the early part of my life, or elementary and high school, and even the early part of my work life, that uh, I knew about Christ, but I really didn't know about Christ. So it was a constant tearing down, I believe, of of that foundation that my mother, because dad wasn't really in on it too much, but my mother tried to get us to church, and we went to numerous churches. I never came up here to Highland, but we any bus that would come by, we would uh, go, and then by the time I was losing my dad or, or wanting to get out of the house, it, it really went in with darkness, and... Uh, and once it starts taking over, it's never good. Uh, and you just uh, forget all about it. And and drove, I drove it in, and uh, the darkness became worse and worse. I just never understood it was bad to be who I was. I just thought it was the way that well, my brothers or different people, my friends lived, and it was good, or it was how we made it through life. We just lived through life, and uh, as it got darker and darker, then farther and farther from Christ, it was. Um, uh, the slope. The, the rolling down, the giving up, and and really incarceration, everything just kind of went bad. <laughs> and uh, and I um, I laugh now, you, know, you kind of, but it's kind of a defense mechanism of what my doctor told me that because uh, the hurt was bad and and life wasn't good, and I. I uh, I didn't know how to change what it was, so I kept riding with it. And the harder it got, the harder I fought back to be where I wanted. I thought it was what I wanted. (laughs) And then uh, went into, got married, had a child, and really thought I was at the top. And I went now. I wasn't doing very good at work. Uh, y'all may know uh, Gary Harris and uh, J.R. Harris and this group. Would, we were just ditch diggers, you know, but he was an honest living, and I had already came out of incarceration, so I didn't really have a, an education to get an, any other job. And 
the craziness of it. Uh, I thought I was at the top, and, and but it was still darkness, and a lot to do with uh, my dishonesty with my ex, and and how I was living. It's still, not uh, even though I would talk about Christ, I never was trying to live with Christ, and <laughs> it. It just got worse, man, once uh, the divorce, and then uh, I actually was able to win custody of the girl, but then I lost her custody, was another incarceration, and I mean, it was still downhill, against and against, and always going against, and and uh, back out, more help from the family, and uh, ended up uh, down at the MBK, my brother's keeper, and um, and found Jimmy and these guys, and uh, it was that, or less Jimmy. <laughs> I don't know where he went. It was less Jimmy and more uh, Janet and Charlie, because Charlie talked like somebody that I knew from. Where I grew up, where, and his honesty was, uh, it's not y'all or Christ, it's me. <laughs> and boy, I'm telling you, that little click came on, and that was it. It was like, oh, well, he got it, you know, he helped me. And then I just fell in love with the church. It was, uh, I didn't realize how much. Christ works with you in that way. He, he, it's, it's, it's unlike anything that, even though I had, I had uh, felt a presence of, I don't know if it was an angel or Christ in a, my cell in a, in a heavy uh, prayer session, but he was wanting to learn, wanting to be that different person and searching Christ out and wanting to understand that he is the one that can help you find that path and then give you salvation. Boy, and I'm tearing up now, just the thought of it. It's, it's so wonderful. Now you had some um, pretty major physical setbacks. Do you mind sharing some of the things that happened pretty briefly? Um, well, it was uh, all related to diabetes. Uh, so mom and dad both, and brothers and sisters, I have four brothers that have passed from complications of diabetes, mom and dad, and uh, still, over the years, not wanting to change who I was, uh, competed without uh, I really did uh, just keep drinking and, and big red too, not just alcohol, you know. <laughs> and it just really was uh, not wanting to stop because I just figured yeah. that's the way you do it. Yeah. You just keep. And so after the eyesight first, it started, I started losing my eyesight and I lost the job of, of uh Operator used to be a backhoe operator, equipment operator, and um, and it was just uh, 
I still didn't want to stop. 2000, in 2005, finally lost my job. I was working at the city of Hewitt at that time. And, and then uh, in 19, I was amputated. And uh, still, the, this amputation, the, you do the short horns too, right? This one right here. Oh, okay. Yeah, See, I got the short horns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just, and, uh, but the struggle is so much different yeah. with yeah. Christ. It, it's unbelievable. And, and even though I know now that... Uh, That he's at my side. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the whole difference of yeah. the of the understanding. It's crazy. It, yeah. I was telling a, a one guy in the backstage here that if he knows every hair in our head, and then there's eight billion people in the earth, and I was like, man, he just that was the opening <laughs> of like a power. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of, yeah. Not knowing who I was dealing with, yeah. I'm yeah. dealing with a God. Yes. Not 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 yeah. just somebody that Jimmy. No, right? no. I'm dealing with God, and I was like, and it's the understanding is is an eye awakening experience in our in our hearts, our minds, and in yeah. our understanding. Can I pray for you? Yes, sir. Lord, thank you for my brother. Thank you for the valleys that you have walked through with him. Thank you, Father, that in the darkest times you never gave up on him. Thank you, Lord, that you are there forever. Thank you that he was able to hear in the midst of the darkness the light that shone brightly into his life. Thank you for his receiving of the Christ who has changed his heart and his mind. And Father, thank you that even in, with all the challenges of life, that he brings joy in a way that uh, embarrasses so many of us. God, thank you for her, Dale, and I pray blessings on him as he continues his journey with you till we meet in heaven. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I need to get my Bible. I forgot to lift it up. I appreciated John's introduction. Um, it's been interesting to see how my time here from 19, really I came as a college kid, it's in 1968, how the Spirit of God shapes and molds people. And um, I never would have guessed that I'd have been under a bridge, but I love it. I also want to thank you. Uh, you're aware that the I-35 and South 4th Street Bridge is being torn down. There's construction everywhere. Somebody said we need to change our name instead of Church Under the Bridge to Church Under Construction. Uh, <laughs> it's just going on everywhere. And uh, uh, so about uh, two and a half years ago when this, the Department of Transportation called and said we're going to have to ask you to move. We'd started a Bible study uh, 29 years ago under the Interstate Bridge with five homeless guys. They asked us to come over and lead the Bible study. 
And that little group of five became 225 or so. And um, mixed people, black, white, brown, rich, poor, people from the streets, people from the university, this incredible diversity that I've never been a part of that I think is kind of what God intends for us. And uh, so after we were told by the Department of Transportation that we had to move out for a period of time, but we could come back, uh, we knew it'd be at least uh, two two and a half, three years. We weren't sure what we were going to do. Somebody ran an article on the front page of the paper and said, homeless church is about to be homeless. (laughs) And uh, so uh, about three days later, guess who called? Chip and Joe, bless their hearts. <laughs> Chip actually called and he said, hey, uh, Silos is closed on Sundays. The courtyard is open. Y'all come be, uh, y'all meet over here and worship until the bridge is finished. So we've been over there. So they're the real thing. I really appreciate them. Yeah. And um, we are about, uh, we hope in late 2022 that our new sanctuary will be finished. <laughs> It is much prettier and larger, and you paid for it. <laughs> so I'd like to say thank you for your donations. Uh, we, uh, we will move back. We will go back over, and uh, it is uh, hopefully um, a place that will continue to, uh, where God will manifest himself in, in a way. I just believe the church is God's heart. I, I have a deep ecclesiology, a deep love for the church. And I want to share out of that this morning, as John said, a, 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 let me just call it gently prophetic. Um, there's something about how we are. We, we just... No, well, thank you, Thomas. Thomas just gave me $20. Thank you, buddy. Is this for... I get real tickled with all of the real organized churches. Um, y'all have it all planned out by the minute. We make it up as we go, Church on the Bridge. So it's real different. So uh, I, um, you, well, let me see the fish. Let's see a fish bowl. Fish did not discover water. That's not a real strong statement. In fact, because they are completely immersed in it, they live unaware of its existence. Similarly, when a conduit or conduct is normalized by a dominant cultural environment, it becomes invisible. Let me say it a different way. When we live in something like fish live in water, it just becomes normative. It just seems like that's the way it's supposed to be and always has been, but it isn't. In fact, the reason that Jesus is so radical, he broke into and breaks into our cultural laziness. Jesus messed the system up. And the religious people, like me, didn't know what to do with that. I grew up in the church. I'm a church kid. I have a seven-year Sunday school attendance at a Baptist church. It doesn't get more holy than that. (laughs) I didn't cuss. I didn't get drunk on Friday night with my friends. I was a good kid. But I still lived in an environment like a fish lives in water in a small town that was highly prejudiced. I grew up in a small town outside of Houston where um, racial division was normative. We were separated by high schools, by movie theaters, by little leagues. In fact, um, I was never around an African-American my whole childhood. And our church certainly was not. I shared this story a couple of years ago that when King was marching and the world was changing... The rumor began to spread that the blacks were coming to our white First Baptist Church. We were petrified. 
Our fear was just because we didn't know them. We didn't know what to think. Fear in the middle of this vacuum because of what we don't know and how we don't understand people. So as it turns out, that morning came. We said, what are we going to do if they come? I'll never forget the deacon. I asked at the door, what are we going to do? And he said, don't worry about it. We're not going to let them in. I'm embarrassed now. These many years later, I am sad that we, the church, were complicit in racism. And still are to some degree. Because it's the water we live in. The neighborhood that I now live in, in Waco, was a beaten up old neighborhood. Janet and I had traveled the world. We'd worked among the poor. We came back to Waco and decided that we couldn't go back to middle class America. We'd just come back from working in Mother Teresa's home for the dying. We'd been around the world and we saw kids that were dying, literally dying. 15,000 children will die today of hunger-related causes. And most of us don't even remember that, much less do anything about it. But now we had seen mamas holding babies that died right in front of us. And we said, we can't go back to whatever normal life in America looks like because we've seen something different. It's been visible. And so we decided to move on into North 15th. If you know anything about Waco, Waco's a poor city by background. Waco's poverty rate is 28.7. Most cities is 13.3%. We are double the poverty rate of most cities. Now, I know right now with all the construction and all the incredible things and groups, Amazon and others moving into our city, we don't feel that poverty, but it's out there. It's out there. And, and so we moved into this broken on Now, I live in a nice big house now. The neighborhoods that I, that I live in used to be the rich neighborhood back in the 20s and 30s and 40s. It was normal America. The, the, the theater that we now call the Jubilee Theater was just a normal theater for people paid nine cents to go to the movie. We just lived down the street from that. But as the world changed, as the blacks in the 60s moved across the river into North Waco, white flight happened. White people middle-class whites moved to the suburbs. They evacuated the old neighborhoods that used to be middle-class America. The houses were getting old. And, and so not only did they go, the business community went with them and the churches went with them too. We left. The neighborhood got worse. The poverty encroached. The theater became a porno theater. Prostitutes worked the corner. I am so blessed today. There's a woman sitting here among you today who was one of those girls who walked the streets for years and is a transformed person in Jesus Christ. She, look at her, she's, waving, she's waving at you. She's, she, she's not real shy. Um, and there was a bar across the street called the Chat and Chew. I could watch live and in color what most people had to wait to see at the 10 o'clock news. We got to see it early. It was rough. My, my, grand, my, my wife's parents, parents of the grandparents of the children, they were not happy about that choice. So we bought an old house. I live in a 4,000 square foot house that we bought for $12,000. Location, location, <laughs> location. It goes both ways. We were only white people in the neighborhood, but we believe that the kingdom breaks barriers. We believe Jesus came to break up some of the messes we've created in our vacuum. We didn't come in rattling. We didn't want to be the white crusader coming into a poor black neighborhood. 
We just wanted to build relationships. That's what the kingdom's about. Relationship with God. Relationships with our brothers and sisters. And my wife's incredible. She's here today. We've been married a long time, and she has been doing this stuff. I talk about it. She does it. It's just one of those incredible things where loving neighborhood people. And those neighborhood people begin to be honest and say, you know what? We, uh, we sure wish we had a job training program for our husbands because they have a hard time getting a job, much less anything that pays living wages. Well, we can figure that out. This was before Google. There was a time, folks. We didn't have Google. And we created a little job training program. Then somebody said, well, my uncle's on crack. Can, we can't get in any treatment center. They're all expensive. They never will take poor people. So we created Manor House. To this day, it's one of my favorite places in our ministry at Mission Waco. We uh, just did the next thing. We listened to the neighborhood. Ministry is not telling people what they need. It's not going over and say, here, we are here to do something for you. It is listening to the neighborhood. That is not a skill set most of us learn. Most of us in seminary need to learn how to learn, listen and quit talking so much and hear what the voices of the Dales are in our neighborhoods. They're all over our city. Not only do most of us not have relationships with people who are poor or different, we don't listen well when we do. And so here we are in this vacuum trying to figure it all out. And by the grace of God, we've stuck around a long time. Jesus moved into a vacuum where religious people ran the day. The Pharisees were a bunch of religious people like me. And into the mess of this, taking the Old Testament law into extremes, Jesus didn't play by the rules. He didn't listen to the cultural religion. They were Old Testament. These were Jewish people who loved God, and yet they had distorted the truth. We do the same thing still today. And it is hard for us to hear the call because we get so complicit with the culture. Look, at, let's talk about culture just a minute. Uh, let me show you these two slides about Hebrew and theology, uh, Hebrew and Greek culture. The Bible was written in a Hebraic culture. The Jews came out of a Jewish mindset. If you read the Old Testament, you will learn more about that. They looked at things holistically. Now we hear that word all the time now. Holistic doesn't just mean a certain kind of medicine. It really means the whole thing is so integrated. If I have a cup of water and I pour salt into it, you can see the salt below and the water above. Two parts. When I take my spoon and stir it up, what happens? Integration. That's the Hebraic way of looking at the world. Everything was connected. The way I took care of my animals, the way I loved my wife, the way I did my ethical stuff, it's all connected. All connected. But unfortunately, Christianity, after being persecuted there in Jerusalem and other places, as they began to run from the persecution, they moved into a Greek-thinking world. You and I come from that world, not the Hebraic world. We read the Bible in the Old Testament. But the Greek-thinking world did not look at the world the way you and I do. They, the Hebrews didn't. Physical, mental, we talk about those categories all the time. We say, well, that's your physical life. That's your mental life. That's your spiritual life. The Greeks were spiritual people. But it wasn't, it wasn't anything to do with, with a concern for your fellow man. They had divided that world up. Nothing has hurt Christianity more than the modern, 
modernity and enlightenment that helped us think that there's a separation between physical and mental and spiritual. It has hurt Christianity. And we're products of it because we've grown up in it. That's, we think that's normal. That's the fishbowl we live in. And so we say, well, that's the, that doesn't have anything to do with it. This guy needing a job over here, what, that, what does that have to do with Christianity? Everything. Well, what about this racist problem? It's like, I don't want to get into politics. It's part of the kingdom that we are not to be separated by color of skin or background. We are to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Cross those barriers. The early church was struggling in the Jewish, I mean, in the Greek culture to figure out what do you do in the middle of this craziness? I want to remind you that the church has been caught up in it. The fundamentalist moderate movement in the 1900s was a part of it. Uh, there was a time way before we were here in the 1900s where the church split kept getting worse and worse and worse. You had the more conservative church that was bigger, that was doing good stuff, but they didn't want to be like those liberals who cared about social problems over here, like feeding hungry people. And so this theology got worse and people divided more. So from 1900 to 1930, we call in history the great reversal where the church divided. And so today you can imagine which churches might be on one side and which churches might be on the other, but they're both wrong. Because biblically, they are all together. Where we should learn to talk about evangelism and social action as one thing, integrated. But we don't. We often say, well, that's my spiritual life. That's that's the church stuff. But the call of the church is to make a difference. Let me show you the next slide. This is sort of how it's become, right? I grew up in that world. Where somehow the poor, somehow the marginalized, eventually were to serve us. Now, this is not Christian thinking. Clearly, this is pagan thinking. But we kind of got co-opted into it some. Where in many ways, uh, the poor were to serve us. Making $7.25 an hour is below par. We have a woman here today who washes dishes at the World Cup Cafe. I love that woman. She is so spirited. She just loves Jesus. And you know what? It's easy to find dishwashers for $7.25 an hour. Have you ever multiplied $7.25 times 2,080 hours in a year? Every hour you work, never miss an hour, you make $15,600. Do you know what the poverty guideline is for a family of four to be poor today? If you fall below that, you're considered poor. She works every day, or others do, minimum wage, and still is $9,000 below poverty line. And we say, well, that's sad. She just should have stayed in school longer. Should have gotten a better education. Or we as Christians could pay our people a living wage. The connection between spiritual and physical is embedded, it's integrated. What we do, not to make money, but to empower people, to love people. So we live in this vacuum, and I want to show you the next slide because this is where it begins to change. This is where it gets really different. Book of Isaiah. I'm sorry, I will do this one. This is fine. A guy named Richard Niebuhr, if you ever went to seminary, you had to read a book that, that uh, was challenging. Niebuhr has really five models of the way Jesus relates to the culture. 
I'm going give to give you three of those, so forgive me, Niebuhr, but I'm going to show you the polarization here. On the left side, you'll recognize that group. There are those who believe that culture is innately evil. You heard Dale. He's like, you get in the middle of this stream, it's like television, computers, and pornography, and this, the world's just surrounded by all this junk, this horrible stuff. And so the answer for those who would embrace a Christ against culture model is we got to get away from the culture. You know the Anabaptist culture. You know the Amish, the Mennonite, the Quakers, the, the Brethren. Those are groups that tend to be theologically on this side. The best way is to get away from the cultural mess, live together, and do good stuff. And they are Christian. Please understand, uh, don't judge because they live outside of town. The problem is their model is what we call Christ on the hill theology. Jesus, the light on the hill. Matthew says um, we should shine like a beacon so that those in the darkness will see the light. So the idea is we'll get together, we'll leave the city, we'll live together, we'll share our possessions, we'll do things like they did in the Bible. And the poor and the broken and the prostitutes, they'll be attracted and they'll come away from the city into the middle of this transformed life. It sounds good. It's not working real well, quite honestly. Because the average person doesn't want to leave their modern culture to go out to a rural kind of mindset and shared life. But that's, it's got some good stuff. Let's admit it. Most of us in the church spend about an hour or two with each other in the whole week. That culture spends a lot of time together as Christians. Christians should be spending more time together but not only together. We don't spend much at all. We spend more time in the midst of the, the fish tank, the bowl that we live in. Far side, Christ of culture is completely the opposite. Maybe not even Christian at all. Christ of culture basically says, basically we kind of just adopt Christian ideas in the middle of the culture. And you know what I'm talking about. We become co-opted by the culture and we just... Sanctify it. We just sort of say, you know, Jesus, God bless you. You go to the guy on the corner, the, the homeless guy on the corner to think, by the way, out of all the things I've ever asked, that's the number one question. Should I give the guy on the corner money? It's the number one question. I'm not going to tell you the answer until you go through some training with me. The reality is, there are some of those guys, Dale being one of those, that you go to my brother's keeper, homeless shelter that Mission Waco runs, you're going to find out some of them know more Bible than you do. It's amazing, kind of humbling in some cases. Well, at the same time, we all learn God language, especially in Texas, especially in Waco, Texas, in the South. It's just a part of our conversation, our garbage. Our, it's just, God loves you. Well, that's not wrong, it's true. But it means a lot more when you're in a communist country and saying God loves you and Jesus loves you when it costs you a great deal to say that. Where it's just sort of the common language here. So what happens is we begin to get secularized. If I don't particularly like that word, but it, you know what I'm talking about. And so we got a lot of people who are out there talking God talk, but they're not necessarily Christian at all. Let's talk about the middle one. Christ above I'm cross transforming culture. Christ above culture really means that Jesus, the kingdom, is above all that's there. Culture has become compromised. And we, the Christian body, the church, are the change agent. We are the, the light, not in the world, but not of the world, but in the world. Not of the world, but in the world. We get in the middle of the world's culture 
but we're different. At least we're supposed to be. You know, when they do some research, they find out that teenagers and youth groups, girls get pregnant just as much as non-Christian kids. The businessmen that go to church cheat on their income taxes just as much, much as those who don't go to church. We are all sinners. I'm not trying to justify being perfect, but I am suggesting to you that what happens to us is the world begins to dominate our ethics. The Bible upends that ethic. When Jesus talks about prayer, he doesn't, I, I'm now at that stage of life, I'm old, where they, I'm the official prayer at banquets. I never intended on being that. Uh, and I don't know if I should say yes or no. Because I don't want to be a professional prayer. Because Jesus is very clear. If you want to pray, you get in the closet. You want to give, you don't ding the bell and then give your money so everybody sees you give money. You live like the widow who gave last, least of what she had and gives that away. You begin to live by an ethic that is an upside down kind of world. Where the last should be first and the first last. Where we wash feet, not get accolades. It is a world that the church can and should be doing even more. There are enough churches in Waco, Texas to upend this city. We can change, we are changing this city. John has done an incredible job bringing churches together for different reasons. Your wellness center is an incredible opportunity to bring healing and hope to this community. There are some churches doing some great things. Please hear that. Highland is one of those. But when you add all the Christians, at least those who call themselves Christians together in a city of this size, there shouldn't be a poor person here. There shouldn't be the darkness that still goes on out there. There shouldn't be public schools that can't get tutors to come be there instead of the kids that go to the suburban schools that are protected and away from the problems of the city. We need to be invading the city, invading the fishbowl water and changing it. We really should. And, and yet it's hard because we've got a life. I'm busy. I've got things to do. One of the things that has been a blessing for Janet and me through the years is the, the proximity we have to the poor and the marginalized. When you move in a neighborhood, you see things you don't see when you're living in the suburbs. The word compassion, by the way, comes from two Latin words. That means to enter the pain. It doesn't mean feel sorry for people. It doesn't mean crying for poor people. It means here I am in my place of safety and security. And I get up out of that place and I walk into the middle of the pain. Go with us to Haiti. Go on a mission trip with Highland. Go somewhere and see children who haven't eaten. It changes the way you look at the world. So living in a neighborhood of people who have no power when we first moved into North Waco was pretty humbling. And so we learned how to empower, not give stuff away. We're not a relief agency. We don't think just give everybody money. That's not the goal. It is to empower those with a kingdom mindset with the resources of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Compassion means get up out of your place where they all look like you and get into the middle of the pain. Now, we don't all have to do the same thing. You don't need to be a pastor under the bridge. I'd love to have you come and get to know a lot of the Dales in this community. But you can find an hour or two or four or five hours to get up out of your place of safety and security and enter the pain. 
you might be judging at first. You think, well, that, they're that way because of this. When I first came to uh, Baylor and was used directing here at this church, Dewey Pinkney called me. Anybody here know Dewey Pinkney? Raise your hand if you ever know who he was. There's a handful of you. Reverend Pinkney was pastor in an area of town called No Man's Land. Who knows where No Man's Land is? few more. Little pocket pocket, kind of over behind the Sam's Club that used to be a really, really, really poor area. And Pinkney was pastor of St. Mary's Baptist Church. I didn't know you could have a St. Mary's Baptist Church. <laughs> and so he said, would you bring your Highland Baptist youth group over here to no man's land and do a vacation Bible school with these kids? Now I'm still racist at heart. I grew up, I mean, this is a year or two out of my background. And I thought, I know it's right, but my heart beat pretty heavy when I went over to meet him that day. And we walked around that incredibly poor city, little village area. Pushed the door open in one house that had a tree growing through the front porch. We were sure nobody lived in there, but a man screamed who did live there. Mr. Sparks, 76-year-old man, completely blind, screamed when he heard us open the door. As rats and roaches ran everywhere. Two miles from where I went to college at Baylor. How can it be in our own city? But we had the grace of a pastor who cared about others. This pastor, Bob Ross. And we said, Bob, can we go over there and do that vacation Bible school? And those that are here and those that are in those early days will remember not only how it changed them a little bit, but it changed us a lot. We got up out of our normal routine and moved into the middle of the pain. That's what it is. Well, we are looking at what kind of model we believe we will in fact promote that the church is the salt, the light, the yeast that moves into the culture to make it change. Collectively, the things we can do, physical, mental, and spiritual. There was a man this past year just a few blocks from my house that went to our Mission Waco programs who had schizophrenia. As a young adult male, his schizophrenia got worse. So much so that as a 25-year-old man, one day he had a major attack. Couldn't control himself. Parents couldn't figure out what to do with him. Called the police. The police came. They didn't know what to do with him. They tased him four or five times. Finally, because they didn't know what else to do with him, there was nowhere to take him in Waco, Texas. They took him to the county jail. This 25-year-old young man stayed 140 days in isolation in a county jail because there's no place for the mentally ill to get help in this city like him. That's wrong! A systemic injustice. I go to church under the bridge where at least a third of our people struggle with some kind of mental health issues with no resources. But we, the church, can change that. We have the capacity to do those kinds of things. As we move into the middle of it and those people begin to have names, we see them, we see their plight, their dilemmas, and now it hurts and it feels like we've entered a world that's too big for me because I can't fix it all. You're right, you can't. Well, let me, let's go to this last slide. Luke sees the world differently than Matthew. 
Are you aware of that? You read your Bible enough? Can you tell the, the difference in the way Matthew, who's talking to Jews, and Dr. Luke, the Gentile, who's talking to Gentile believers mostly, converts? The language, the focus is different. There are 2,000 verses about, the, about poverty in the Bible. I don't know if you know it's that big a theme. But Luke is the one that talks about it more than anybody. We just finished going through the whole Luke chapter 2 uh, nativity stuff. And uh, Mary's Magnificat. You even read that. It's powerful. But Luke pulls the Old and the New Testament together. Can you go back to the Lucan passage before this? Um, Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. And proclaim the year of the Lord. Jesus comes out of the desert, having confronted the evil one, been confronted by the evil one, goes to the synagogue in his hometown. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah to read it. He didn't choose it. They gave it to him. It was the time to read Isaiah. He read it. And when he finished, every eye was on him. That's a powerful passage we just read. The Messiah, when he would come, would bring good news to the poor and set the oppressed free. How you would know Messiah would be predicated, at least at some level, on the fact that Messiah would do those things. In fact, when John the Baptist was in prison before he was beheaded, the disciples, John's disciples came to Jesus and said, how do we know this Jesus is the real Messiah? And Jesus said, go back and tell John. The deaf hear. The blind have sight. People being healed. Lives are being changed. One way you know who Jesus is of the transformation of what he does in the culture. That day as Jesus finished reading that passage. says every eye was on him. Every eye in the synagogue was on him. And he said this. Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words... You can know that I am indeed Messiah because I came to bring good news to the poor, to set the oppressed free. It is basic to who he is and we are as his followers. I love the church, but we are tainted by the culture. We've all got our own individual sin, but we've also got this collective stuff that surrounds us and we still learn how to try to justify our, our next boat that we buy or we buy a cross that instead of being a broken wooden cross is made out of gold with diamonds on it we Christianize the culture we're all guilty of it I am too how do we begin to stand up and hold one another accountable to an ethical life that is remarkably different from the world life that we're in how we as a Christian businessman or woman their lives are different from the Christian, from the businessman and woman who's not a Christian. Can an accountant tell you're a Christian by the way you spend your money? 
oh, now that's personal, right? No, it's not personal. It's biblical. Who we are, our ethics, shines forth. Now, you can do good things for wrong reasons, no question about it. But I want to suggest to you, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Is for us today, too. So on the first Sunday of the first new year that we're here, instead of making another New Year's resolution, would you do me the favor of sometime today, tomorrow, get away for 10 or 15 minutes and evaluate, where are you? No guilt. This is not about guilt. We're, we're saved by grace through faith. But have you been so tainted and co-opted by the world that has sort of taken Christianity like the Pharisees did and mix it all together so that we can justify everything we're doing? Are you somehow dealing with things that maybe need to change this year? The Holy Spirit has to guide you in that. I can't do that. But I want to tell you, there's nothing more fun than being in the middle of a world that is so desperately in need of you in this church, in the churches of Waco, where we can change the world. Would you bow your heads? Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to examine our hearts and our actions. Lord, we know, we recognize that so much of what we do is somehow colored by sin, shaped by a world that is sinful. Lord, forgive us for not taking the time to ask the brightness of the Holy Spirit to shine deeply into our dark hearts, to show us who we really are, so we might confess it. Lord, we want to be the change agents. We know, Father, we get one life on this earth. We want to make a difference for the kingdom of God to bring glory to you that you might have your light shine in this world. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.